Coming up on this episode of The Doctor's Pharmacy. In just 12 hours, you can shift your mindset. So not just the next day or week, you're talking about weeks and years. You show up as a better husband, you show up as a better spouse, you show up as a better parent because you have taken that examination. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Mark. You're unique, which means your health and wellness plans should be unique too. But it can be tough to optimize your health and nutrition programs because it's often difficult to get the data you need. And even if you do get your numbers, you actually have to understand them and then be able to make meaningful action based on them. This is where Inside Trackers comes in. Inside Tracker is a wellness tracker that uses science and technology to deliver ultra-personalized healthcare guidance. They can analyze your blood, your DNA, your lifestyle habits, and then give you actionable recommendations to help you meet your health and wellness goals. They'll tell you what you need to do and why. And you can track your progress and adjust your plan based on real-time feedback from your own body. Since 2009, their science team at Harvard, Tufts, and MIT have been bringing personalized nutrition and wellness to the world with their powerful evidence-based digital platform. Inside Tracker is simple, customizable, and most importantly, it's based on you and your body. If you're curious about getting your own health program dialed in to meet your unique needs, I highly recommend checking out Inside Tracker. Right now, they're offering my community 20% off at insidetracker.com forward slash Dr. Hyman. That's I-N-S-I-D-E-T-R-A-C-K-E-R.com slash D-R-H-Y-M-A-N. And you'll see the discount code in your cart. It's hard to overstate how important magnesium is for all aspects of our health. There is a long list of symptoms and diseases that can be treated and even cured with magnesium. In fact, way back when I was an emergency room doctor, magnesium was a critical element of our care. We used to treat all kinds of conditions from arrhythmia to constipation to preeclampsia and even seizures. It's really essential to our health and our well-being, and yet over 80% of the population doesn't get the magnesium they need on a regular basis. Now, this is a problem because magnesium deficiency can increase your risk of all diseases and keep you from performing optimally. But even more critically, there's not just one type of magnesium. There are seven different types that we need in order to ensure both our health and vitality remain strong. Now, I'm normally a big advocate of getting as many of our nutrients as we can through a well-balanced diet. But in this case, it's almost impossible to get enough magnesium intake through your food alone because our soil is so overworked and mineral depleted and lacking organic matter, which helps the plants get the minerals from the soil. Fortunately, BioOptimizers has the solution. Their magnesium breakthrough supplement is the only product in the market with all seven types of magnesium, and it's specially formulated to reach every tissue in your body to provide maximum health benefits. Bioptimizer's magnesium breakthrough gives you access to the full spectrum of magnesium, which can dramatically improve your overall health from reducing stress to improving sleep and boosting your energy levels. Right now, you can try Bioptimizer's magnesium breakthrough and any other Bioptimizer's product for 10% off. Just go to magbreakthrough.com, that's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com slash Hyman, and use the code Hyman10 to boost your intake of magnesium and start feeling better today. Welcome to the Doctor's Pharmacy. I'm Dr. Mark Hyman. That's pharmacy with an F, a place for conversations that matter. And if you've ever struggled to figure out how to navigate your life and have courage to do the things you want to do and face the adversities we all have to face, I think you're going to find this conversation very fascinating because it's with an incredible man, a friend of mine, someone who's done something that very few people, maybe nobody on the entire planet has actually done. And we're going to talk about what that is soon. And this is Colin O'Brady. He's a 10-time world record-breaking explorer. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He's an entrepreneur, a speaker, an expert on mindset, which we all need 
more of clear mindset because it's such a powerful force in determining the quality of our lives. He's focused on sharing his hard-won wisdom to encourage others to step outside their comfort zone and unlock their best lives. I've had so much fun with this guy. He not only gets to the top of every mountain in the entire world that's the highest mountain on every continent, but he single-handedly has broken record after record after record. And I don't know how he does it because he's such a cool dude and he just seems so chill. But anyway, Colin's highly publicized expeditions have been seen by millions of people. His work has been featured by the New York Times, The Tonight Show, BBC. He's been on the Joe Rogan Show twice, Forbes, and today. And he did the first solo, unsupported, fully human-powered crossing of Antarctica. And I've been down there and it's not a friendly place to go hang out uh, by yourself for a long time. It's fun with your friends for a little bit when you can go to a warm boat, but <laughs> he didn't do that. He literally crossed the entire Antarctica by himself. He set speed records for the Explorer's Grand Slam on the seven summits on all the world's continents. And he also completed the first, and this is just nuts. Uh, <laughs> I've seen the slides show of this, the first human powered rowing across the Drake Passage. Now, for those of you who don't know what the Drake Passage is, it's essentially the roughest ocean passage in the world. We had 150 people on this boat together. That's where I met Colin. And like pretty much 80% of the boat was puking the entire time. <laughs> and he literally rowed across this entire thing in a cold boat. He's a regular speaker. Um, to Fortune 100 companies uh, like Nike, Google, and Amazon, and top universities, including UPenn, Georgetown, Johns Hopkins. Uh, he's from the Northwest. He lives in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, with his wife, Jenna, and his dog, Jack. So, Colin, welcome to the doctor's pharmacy. Amazing to be here. That was uh, well, quite of an intro. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we had the, the, the great fortune to meet on this expedition boat. Well, not really an expedition boat. It was kind of a luxury boat. And it was going to Antarctica to raise awareness about climate change. And, and it was there that I first met you and heard you speak and tell your story. And it was so inspiring. And I, it really shook me to kind of look at my life in a way and where I was facing things that were challenging for me and how you did it and what the things that you learned on the way to help you overcome those challenges. So I just want to get into it with you because your story is so amazing. And, you know, in Antarctica, it's, it's, it's cold. I mean, we went, it was, it was kind of warm. It was a time of the year that was a little bit more warm. But when you went, it was pretty cold and it was, it was not really the same environment that we were in, which was kind of a luxury environment. And you literally went down there by yourself with a dog sled strapped to your back, essentially went unsupported on a 932 mile expedition that took you 54 days to complete. And I remember those slides of you going across in blizzards and storms and you couldn't see anything. You ha literally burned, I think, what you had 3000 calories more a day than you got to eat because you couldn't carry that much food. You were literally wasting away as you're crossing Antarctica. So what, what one inspired you to do this and how did you prepare for something that, that seems to me just the scariest thing in the world? I mean, it was hard enough to just go out in there for a few hours, nonetheless, 54 days unsupported. Yeah. Well, I, I will say I have, uh, I've had the good fortune of going to Antarctica four times for various expeditions and the, the last of which was with you um, on this cruise ship that we went down there with all these uh, climate activists and incredible humans, yourself included. Um, and that was definitely the most uh, comfortable time uh, <laughs> I spent in Antarctica. Um, and it was a bed. 
<laughs> I had a bed and a warm meal. Um, didn't have a lot of that. So when I was doing this solo crossing, uh, which you mentioned, um, I was attempting to be the first person in history to cross the entire continent of Antarctica. So from one coast all the way through the interior via the South Pole, um, you know, all the way to the other side. So where we were on the edge of the continent, you know, we were at somewhere around 60 degrees, 65 degrees south, you and I yeah. were. Um, the South Pole, of course, is 90 degrees south. So that's another 2,000 wow. miles further south um, wow. than that. And uh, the average temperature when I was pulling my sled was roughly minus 30, minus 40 degrees, commonly 50 mile per hour winds uh, right in the face. So that's, uh, you know, about minus 70, minus 80 wind chill. <sighs> and, uh, you know, people have attempted this crossing historically over time. No one had completed it. Someone had come within 100 miles of completing it and ultimately died uh, attempting after 71 days. Another wow. prolific British Whoa. explorer made it 50 some days and had to get evacuated after running out of food and fuel. So it really was very much uh, definitely on the edge of my limits, on the edge of kind of human limits, because this thing, as you mentioned, unsupported, which was no food or no fuel could be dropped off or resupplied. So that meant I had to start with everything that I needed with me and me to take with me in that sled. It ultimately weighed 375 pounds uh, to start. I could literally barely pull it. Um, it was very slow going in the early days. Um, but I, every single gram, every single ounce um, was carefully curated. And mo most of which of that was food. But as you mentioned, not enough yeah. food. I was burning 10,000 calories a day um, and I could only carry about 7,000 calories. So from day one, I'm running a 3,000 calorie deficit. Um, you know, it was rough. Uh, in terms of preparation, um, you know, a lot, a lot went into that, of course, but there's no playbook. You know, no one had ever done this. It's the world first. <laughs> right. You know, you, you can't call up some guy and say, oh, hey, how did you do it last time you did this? Um, yeah, how did you get to the Whole Foods down the block? Just take a left <laughs> at the corner, right? No. <laughs> exactly. But one thing that I, I think you and certainly your, your audience would be interested to know is I looked at the whole expedition, the history of this expedition and people attempting it and said, what innovation, what, what have people not thought of? What have people not hacked essentially? And I looked at it closely and what I realized is that I didn't think anyone had taken a good look at the food. Um, what I mean yeah. by that is people have been eating, you know, in the polar, you know, going back to Ernest Shackleton, the early 1900s, early exploration, Captain Scott, uh, names you might recognize from your history textbook, people have been mostly eating pemmican, um, which you're probably familiar, you know, it's kind of like yeah. ground up uh, pig fat and uh, kind of meat and, and things like that. Um, and, and go fast forward to the modern era. And people are essentially going out there eating very similar things, salami, cheese, high fatty foods, um, et cetera. And I thought, okay, that might work, but it hasn't worked for other people on this expedition. And my background, actually, my family is a in the natural foods industry. So my dad's an organic farmer on the North Shore of Kauai. My parents started a chain of natural foods grocery stores in the Pacific Northwest. And so I kind of grew up in the late 80s, early 90s, where people were, my parents throwing around the words organic, sustainable, <laughs> uh, long before right. anyone was, <laughs> was, was saying that, you know, a bunch of hippies, basically, uh, at mm. the time. And so I looked well, at that it explains everything. Yeah. Colin. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of looked at it through that lens and I, I ended up spending about a year in a, a food science lab with a bunch of doctors and nutritionists saying, test my body, test my blood, figure out what is the best, most optimum food, not only from a calories per weight perspective, but what my body can burn as clean fuel over time. And mm -hmm, we ultimately mm -hmm. created these, you know, one of one, we called them the column bars, but they were unique bars basically uh, curated for my own uh, my, my own body. I, I, I pulled up the nutrition facts on them because I thought you'd be interested. Uh, yes. I haven't looked at this in a little while. Um, so each bar, which was about the size of an iPhone, maybe 
maybe a little thicker, but that kind of, you can picture that length. They were 1150 calories. So we were trying to put as many calories as dense as possible. And keep in mind, we knew the average temperature was minus 30. So um, we could put a lot of oils and fats into this. Uh, if I took this bar at, at um, basically room temperature, it'd melt on my kitchen table, right? Because yeah. there was so much oil in it. But the, the macros are in, in one bar and I ate about four or 5,000 calories of these per day. So I eat about four or five of these bars every day. But in one bar, 1,150 calories, total fat, 75 grams, predominantly from uh, organic coconut oil, cashew butter. Um, the Let's see, the, the total carbs on it was 91 grams uh, and the protein was 30 grams. So the, the ingredient list, again, you know, I wouldn't get this granular, but I feel like this is right in your wheelhouse, this kind of stuff. Yes. Um, so the ingredients were organic coconut oil, cashew butter, organic apple powder, amber honey, organic rolled oats, organic buckwheat flour, organic dried cranberries, roasted sunflower seeds, pumpkin seeds, uh, pumpkin protein, a, a pea powder, a pea protein powder, beet powder, organic freeze dried blueberries, organic chia seeds, organic cocoa power um a vitamin blend basically and yeah you know basically fully plant-based you know nuts seeds and a bunch of oil Amazing. uh in but, but you know it was just in the calories you know it was it was because this fat is more than twice the amount of calories as protein and carbs it's it was more than 50 percent fat yes correct um and that was that was essential like i said i was eating seven thousand calories of those per day that's what i ate every single day all day long for 54 days straight and people were like you know, obviously the, the emotion of that, right. Of like, that's crazy to eat the same thing all day long. But the way I looked at this, I thought, what's the most efficient fuel in the gas tank, right? Like this, you know, yeah. you and I both enjoy a nice meal with uh, different tastes of different flavors and things like that. But this was, how can we push the body to its absolute limit without it breaking down? And one interesting anecdote, um, obviously this isn't scientific, but it's an anecdote, which is I was actually racing another guy out there. So yes. right, right before I was about I remember to take that story. off, right before I'm about to take off, I find out that I'm not just racing history, which is what I thought. There's another guy, a British, really badass British army. Racing like, a dude. Like <laughs> he is, I mean, he's like the guy, right? Like he's uh, a strong, he's like special badass, forces guy, right? Yeah. Special forces, military <laughs> guy. And so we end up shoulder to shoulder on the same cargo plane. Cause there's only one plane that can take you to the edge of Antarctica one time a year. You can do this. So we're not just like roughly at the same, I'm talking shoulder to shoulder, getting dropped off at the same time. Hey, ready, go. There's going to be a, you know, 932 mile race, you know, across this continent. And I told him about the food and he, he's just like grizzled, badass British guy. And he's like, oh, that's a fussy American like thing to do. I'm going to take salami and meats and all this kind of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. He kicked my ass to be clear uh, in the first, in the first little bit, he took off and I couldn't, I couldn't match his pace. Um, but I did catch up to him and ultimately uh, complete the crossing ahead of him. Funny enough, what's interesting is that even though I lost so much weight over time, my body continued to perform really well. Meaning, obviously I was broken down, I was beat up, I lost a ton of weight, my ribs, my bones were sticking out, et cetera. But I think there was something about the difference in, you know, you would know more about this than me. I'd love to get your perspective, actually. Just the inflammation, I think, was lower than what he was yes. experiencing. Um, yes. I think I recovered better. And ultimately, funny enough, he, him and I have maintained a friendship over time. You know, I was proud to win the race and become the first. But of course, at the end, I was left with deep camaraderie for someone else, uh, a worthy competitor. But he called me up last year. He was going back to Antarctica for another expedition. He goes, I know I made fun of you about those bars, but I'm trying to do something down there. Can you send me over that yeah. recipe? Because I think I'm going <laughs> to switch off what I had before. So, anyways, well, interesting. Yeah, so Colin, 
I don't know if anybody actually kind of is reflecting on that to you about why, but you know, it really is a much more optimized mitochondrial fuel than just a bunch of salami and who knows what he was eating. And, and mitochondria is what determines your ability to sustain energy over time and to basically run your body. And, and, and the way you did it also was anti-inflammatory. So you're right. I mean, those two things, inflammation and mitochondria are the key to performance, whether you're a weekend warrior or whether you're doing something that no one's ever done in human history. And, and it's really smart that you did that. And a lot of the compounds in the thing that you just described, like the berries, for example, help optimize your microbiome and help reduce inflammation. And I'm sure what he was eating wasn't doing that. So he was able to maybe get out of the gate faster because he was a special forces badass, but you were, you were smart in the way you did it. A little bit of the tortoise in the hair. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, it, it actually, and it's funny, people have asked me, well, you must, by the, by the end, you must've been so sick of eating those bars, but it's interesting being so hungry. I mean, I was 3000 calorie deficit. You can't help, but you know, have a really significant hunger and the fear of being starving out there is immense, but Every single bite of that fuel food felt like fuel in the gas tank. Like I'd actually feel every. You know, I had a, I kind of had it broken up into hundred um, calorie chunks that I'd carry around in my pocket, so they'd warm up against my body heat. And every thirty minutes or so, I'd put another hundred calories in the gas tank. Basically, all throughout the entire day, I was pulling my sled every day for twelve hours. Uh, and it's the name of the new book, the Twelve Hour Walk. But the uh, the each, every time I took one of those bites, I could literally feel my body absorbing the nutrients in that. So, um, you know, again, a little bit anecdotal, certainly scientific, a lot of thought went into it, but it, uh, it was, it was really powerful and it definitely sustained me. It's one thing the first five days, 10 days, 20 days, but you'd get into day 40, day 50 plus, um, Mm -hmm. it seemed to just keep my body sustained and and, and really driving forward. So, um, it's pretty amazing. And, and, you know, I think, you know, we're going to be talking more about it, but the book you just finished writing and that now is available for everybody to read. It's quite an extraordinary book. I think everybody needs to get a copy. It's called the 12 hour walk, invest one day, conquer your mind and unlock your best life. Uh, and, 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 you know, not all of us are going to get on a cargo plane and go to the middle of nowhere and spend 54 days starving all day. I mean, 3000 calories is basically more than most humans eat in a day anyway. So it's like you're literally starving the entire time and doing a 54 day walk, 12 hours a day. But in this book, you really help us kind of focus on what you learned that can inspire us to actually conquer some of the things that are challenges for most of us that, that are really what's between our ears, that, that, that gray matter in there that determines the quality of our life, determines our happiness. And, and you're one of the happiest people I've ever met. I mean, all we do together is just laugh and laugh and laugh. <laughs> and it's, it's the best thing ever. And, you know, you think you'd be kind of a serious dude. You know, you did all these super heroic things and you're focused and you can do anything. But, it, you know, I think your, your mental attitude determines so much about the quality of your life. And, and it really, you know, I think for you, uh, I'd like to hear how you sort of got to this place. Because I know when you started out uh, on that journey, uh, particularly in Antarctica, you were really worried. You didn't think you could do it. You were scared. You doubted yourself. You didn't think you could make the first point, uh, the waypoint, and, and doubted you could get across the finish line. So, you know, I know you, you told the story in, in an article when we were there together about how you called your wife. And, and what, what did your wife, Jenna, what did, what did she say to you? What was the advice she gave? And how did she inspire you to not just finish that first day, but finish the 54 days? Yeah, no, absolutely. That, those are all great questions. Um, you know, we'll get back to the book, but the book is really framed from some of this wisdom, which is 
I don't care who you are. If, you, if you've walked across a continent, if you haven't, whatever, you know, rich, poor, young, old, doesn't matter. As human beings, all of us are, are living this, this crazy human experiment, right? And we have limiting beliefs. We have doubts. We have fears. Like that's part of the, the human existence, right? But also understanding how to react um, to those things. That very first day, as you mentioned, I, I got out of the plane. Lou got out of the plane. He took off and I couldn't pull my sled. It was 375 pounds. I, obviously, I trained my body as best as I could, thought I was ready. And I started pulling my sled. I could pull it like 10 feet at a time. And it was wow. so pathetic that I actually started crying. I started bawling, oh. crying. Um, and if you want to know the most pathetic, crying by yourself is not a great feeling. Um, but it's minus 30 outside, keep in mind, because I'm on the edges of Antarctica. And so that the tears, they start actually freezing Freeze. to my face, <laughs> which is, <laughs> it, it thought you feel pathetic, but you know, you can't start this race and you've got frozen tears on your face. You're like, wow, this is just going from bad to worse. This is hour one, day one. You know, this, I thought I might fail 30 days, 40 days in this expedition, but this is right out of the gate. Um, mm. and I, ca- I called my wife, uh, I had a stat phone. She was the only person that talked when I was out there. Um, and I called her and she, of course, was like, you know, she's not just my wife, but she is a a co-dreamer, co-conspirator, business partner. She's dreamed up and helped me build all these expeditions um, and all of our businesses Mm -hmm. that we've done it all together. Um, So she's really in the weeds with with all the details of this, but she's like, why are you calling me so soon? Um, And I was like, well, we we had called our project The Impossible First. It's the name of my my previous book, The Impossible First, uh, name of the the project. And she goes, well, I go, I think we may have named our project the right thing. This appears to be impossible. She's like, what are you talking about? And I said, uh, I can't even pull my sled like the first mile. Forget 932 miles. Lou's gone beyond the horizon. And she kind of said to me in that moment, and there was many other moments where she kind of had to pull me back on track, but she said to me, hey, look, forget about Lou. Forget about the thousand miles. Forget about the race. Get to the next waypoint. Get to the first waypoint. So I had a GPS that had kind of mm-hmm. markings on the path. And she just said, forget about the totality of how hard this ridiculous thing is you're trying. Make some incremental step. Make some incremental process. Um, and, and I got there. The, the following morning, I, I wake up. She said, and then the next morning, see if you can get to the next waypoint. I wake up in my tent the very first morning after crying frozen tears on my cheeks. And <laughs> I, I, I joke because I say, well, who was in the tent with me? And people are like, wait, did Lou come back? No, no, Lou wasn't there. Who was there with me was all of the negative versions of myself sitting around in the tent with me. Colin, you're such an idiot. You're so stupid. You're not strong enough. You're a failure, right? They're beating up on myself, just being yeah. very hard on myself. Mm-hmm. But I also believe that we are the stories that we tell ourselves, right? And so I actually stood up outside of my tent and I yelled to try to cut through the negative noise in my brain. I started yelling, Colin, you are strong. You are capable. You are strong. Mm, You are capable. mm. Really trying to uplift myself. Look, it's not like I just shot to the lead or anything like that, but it gave me enough kind of strength and courage to rewrite some of this negative self-talk and get out of my tent. And I had told Jenna before that 10 hours was my absolute maximum. Like I couldn't possibly go further than 10 hours um, in a single day, but I caught up to Lou on the sixth day and we ended up side mm. by side, shoulder to shoulder. Um, and he starts trying to talk to me. He starts trying to chat me up. Like he's like, Hey, uh, is he trash little- talking you or what? <laughs> he's, he's, well, he's trying to do it all nice. Like he's trying to say like, Hey, I got a little advice for you. I got a little this. I'm like, well, what, what are you talking about? Oh. I finally say, Hey Lou, let this be the last time we speak. I got, it, it's nothing negative. I don't wish you any ill will, but we're supposed to be out here alone. And this is a race. 
And so he kind of says, suit yourself. And I say like, I'll see you later. But we're both pulling 300 plus pounds behind us. Like, see you later. Like we both are moving like, you know, one step every you know few seconds. Like you can't just race away from somebody. So I end up shoulder to shoulder with him for eight hours, nine hours, wow. 10 hours. We're still wow. right next to each other. And 10 hours goes by my absolute, what I told myself was my maximum. And he doesn't stop. So I go, I got to go one more hour further, 11 hours. I finally see him reach for his tent and I pretend like I'm not exhausted, even though I am, but I go for one more hour, 12 hours beyond what I ever thought I could possibly do. And then it resets what I believe I'm capable of. I'm like, wow, if I can go 12 hours once, can I go it twice? Can I go it three times? And then the 12 hours ends up being its its own kind of new norm. But it uh, brings it full circle. We've been talking a lot about sort of this feed or this thing that I did. Um, I wrote a book about it a couple of years called The Impossible First, a New York Times bestseller. Proud, proud of that, recounts the whole story. But what I was most excited to do with this new book is I take what I had learned and apply it in a way that any single person is passionate about. As passionate as I am about following my own journey, you know, taking on these yeah. adventures, what I'm most passionate about is inspiring everyone to what I, the question I like to ask is, what's your Everest? What's a fulfilled life look for you? Mm. What are you passionate about? How can you live your best life? Um, because I think we're all capable of that. And look, m- for most people, that doesn't look like freezing their ass off and walking across Antarctica by themselves, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, yeah. Which is totally fine. It, and not trying to inspire people to do that. So I found, and, and I, 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 it means a lot to me as a friend and someone who I highly regard for you to say that I'm the happiest person you met, uh, one of the happiest people you know. Um, the end of the, at the end of that story, the end of that first book, the chapter is called Infinite Love. Um, yeah. it, it wasn't called, hey, I'd crossed Antarctica and no one done it. Let me beat my chest and oh, I'm so cool yeah. or badass. Because what I ended up connected to out there was Source was energy, yeah. was the universe. I mean, call it whatever you want. Call it God, call it the universe, call it energy. For me, I call it infinite love. But when all the other external was pushed aside, um, the the pressure, the accolades, the feet, whatever, what I just was left with was just pure love. I could feel the love of my wife, the love of my family, the love of um, the kids I hope to inspire with my work uh, in the schools, the, you know, just the love of humanity. Um, and that's, that, that's how I reflect at the end of, of that book. And so I found this inner peace and I should say that I deleted all my music, all my podcasts, all the things uh-huh. I actually spent those 54 days, basically yeah. in silence inside my own brain. Wow. That's quite amazing. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Mark. As with any time of year, supporting our immune systems is key to optimizing our health. But with fall right around the corner and the season's about to shift, it's super important to keep our immune system in top shape. And that's why today I'm excited to share with you an incredibly easy way to protect your immunity, and that's by incorporating Manuka honey into your daily wellness routine. Manuka is a special type of honey harvested from the forests of New Zealand. It's different from regular honey because it boasts amazing immune and digestive properties plus antioxidants. Research shows that Manuka honey supports gut health through its prebiotic content and other properties, making a daily spoonful a great part of your regimen. Raw Manuka honey from Comvita stands above the rest. It's really the gold standard in Manuka. Not only is Comvita known across the world for upholding the highest standards of quality and efficacy, but it also tastes better than any other Manuka in my opinion. Comvita offers the most premium, pure, well-researched, and sustainably sourced Manuka products available on the market today. Comvita can be drizzled over your yogurt, put in a smoothie, in tea, or even just enjoyed by the spoonful as part of a healthy lifestyle. Comvita also offers B-Propolis products for your immune support, as well as products for kids. You can learn more at comvita.com, C-O-M-B-I-T-A.com. 
where you can enter the code HYMAN25 for 25% off all Manuka Honey and Bee products. That's C-O-M-V-I-T-A dot com. And now let's get back to this week's episode of The Doctor's Pharmacy. So the thing that's interesting is that I thought that I had kind of cracked the code, right? I get to the end of this. I achieve this thing, a lot of external praise, but more than anything, I found this place inside my body, right? That was just peaceful. And for a year or so, things are feeling good. And then COVID hits. You know, mm. we all remember March of 2020, COVID hits. I had some expeditions planned. I was on book tour at the time. Everything's canceled. Future's uncertain. Doom scrolling the news, you know, hundreds and then thousands and hundreds of thousands of people are dying. Just like yeah. negative, negative. Yeah. And I end up sitting in my house. My, my family has a, a cabin on the Oregon coast. My wife and my dog, we went out there, just, I mean, me and my wife, basically with our dog, Jack, sitting on the Oregon coast. And I just was depressed, man. I was went into mm-hmm. a deep anxiety, depression, feeling bad, really feeling adrift. Um, and so I thought back to myself, what was the last time that I felt really at peace? When, when did mm. I when did I feel at mm. peace last? And I thought to myself, you know, this is so weird, but I actually felt at peace, starving, but being alone, walking across Antarctica 12 hours a day. So I said to my wife, I said, this might sound ridiculous, but I'm, I mean, I hadn't changed out of my pajamas in like three days. I mean, just sitting there like staring, you know, staring at the wall, like just feeling yeah. down. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of people felt that throughout the, the isolation of that time. Right. Um, and so I said, I'm, I'm going to go for a walk tomorrow all day long. And she's like, what are you talking Mm. about? I said, I'm going for a 12-hour walk, just like I did in Antarctica. But instead, I'm going to walk out my front door here on the Oregon coast. And when I came back, I I actually walked up the door. 20 minutes in, I remember my phone buzzes. My phone buzzes. And I grab my phone instinctively to like check who's texting me or whatever. And I stop myself. I'm like, what the heck am I doing? I've been, you know, Zoom calling family, doom scrolling the news, checking social media. Like, I don't need my phone today. And so I put my phone on airplane mode. I didn't bring podcasts with me. I didn't bring music. And I ended up walking for 12 hours alone yeah. on the Oregon coast. Mm. And when I came back through that door, my wife looked at me and she was like, just without, before I even spoke, she's like, I can just tell in your essence, in, in your presence, that something has shifted within you. How was that yeah. walk? And I said, I feel better than I have felt definitely since this pandemic started. So forgive the long explanation, but the long story short is I thought, well, this is a great for me. I can tap back into that energy because I put in the work in Antarctica, whatever, but I wonder if this works for other people. And so I started suggesting this to friends and family member, people who are also going through some tough times or feeling stuck during the pandemic, try to take this 12 hour walk. And I said, look, people like, I can't walk for that long. I said, I don't care if you walk for one mile or 50. It's not, you have to train for this. This is, this is not some physical feat. Take as many breaks as you want, sit down, but stay in silence a day by yourself just to reflect. Mm. Mm. And it has been resoundingly positive. Um, And so this book, this book has all sorts of stuff in it. Rich adventure stories from rowing a boat across Drake Passage to Everest with my wife to losing friends on K2 to Antarctica, etc. Keeps you excited, edge of your seat storytelling and some prescriptive advice about how to get over limiting beliefs. But at its core, at its true core, to me, this is more than a book. It's really a global movement. It's a call to action to invite people to take one day, put it on their calendar and take a 12 hour walk. Um, and it's amazing what I've seen and I'm excited. My, my next Everest is to inspire 10 million people to take this walk. Um, and I think that the, the, I already know how powerful it can be. It, it's not to vilify technology or to say, live as a monk the rest of your life. It's saying, Hey, take one day, 
Take one day and take this, commit to this, and it will have a massive shift on your mental health, your ability to move forward, and the ability to really unlock your best life on the other side. It's so beautiful, Colin. I, you know, I, I, I just want to pause there because, you know, it's not about climbing the tallest peak on every continent, which is a heroic feat. It's not about the external feats of crossing Antarctica and doing things that no one else has done. It's about the feat of conquering your own mind and figuring out how to connect to what really matters. And I certainly have not climbed Mount Everest. I have not rode across the Drake Passage, nor have I done anything other than slide down a hill with you in Antarctica <laughs> and giggling a lot. But what I did do, and I, I, I kind of um, did it because I felt the onrush of my life taking me away from what really mattered to me and, and feeling in some ways disconnected from myself uh, through all the external activities of life that we all do. And, and, I, and I've been on a mission for the last 30 years climbing a little bit of a different mountain, which is transforming medicine based on understanding so much needless suffering and how to heal people through functional medicine. And I decided to give myself a timeout. And I went to a cabin in Vermont at the base of a mountain, not at the top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. And I had a bed. It was kind of warm and comfy. But I did exactly the same thing. I didn't walk, but I, I sat with myself for 30 days. Wow. And I had no media, no computer, no phone, no work, no email, no podcast. And I was with myself and my own thoughts and my own experience. And I'm the kind of guy who typically fills up my day morning to night with activities and productivity. And I'm really, you know, I get so much done. And, you know, today I'm I'm embarrassed about it. Like I did, you know, two podcasts, saw tons of patients, you know, cleaned up my whole house, did this and that, went for a bike ride. You know, it's like my (laughs) average day. But but it was the most transformative thing I've ever done. It wasn't a 12-hour walk, although I did walk every day for hours. It was just sitting with myself and being with myself. And, And at first it was scary and it was threatening and I was uncomfortable and I was restless and and I was looking for some distraction. Uh, and then I finally settled into it. And I got to exactly the same place that you did. I got to this place, uh, I didn't really call it that, but of infinite love. I, I just felt madly in love with everything, with myself, with nature, with creation, with the trees, with the mountain, with the snow, with the cold, with, with everything. And I, I realized that I didn't need anything. I didn't need anything to be happy. I just needed to be alive. That being alive was enough. That just being was enough. And everything else was a bonus. And so, and I actually met you a couple of months after that experience. And, you know, it was one of the most transformative things I've ever done. And, 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 you know, nobody has a time or the ability to take a month off, but, but everybody has the ability to take a day to do a 12 hour walk. And I think it's such a beautiful frame for how we start to, re-meet ourselves and to reconnect with what matters and to rethink our lives. And, and, and what comes out of that will be different for each of us, but it's a really a powerful frame for how to think about dealing with some of the really confusing and confronting and difficult and challenging things that we are facing today in the world that can make us really depressed and sad and hopeless and helpless. Uh, and, huh. and we all felt that during COVID and that was your sort of way out of it was that 12 hour walk in the Oregon coast. But you know, I, I can't wait to go to Jackson Hole this summer and do a 12 hour walk and maybe just, we won't talk, but we can just walk and take a 12 hour walk. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, look, like it, you, you hit the nail on the head. Um, I, it, it's so powerful that you, that you went and did that for 30 days. I mean, that, that's incredible. That's a deep cut. You know, I've 
obviously my experience in Antarctica and I've done a few 10 day silent Vipassana meditation retreats, which have been really impactful for me, but it was beautiful to experience this 12 hour walk and why I'm so passionate about it. You know, I, I, you are unique. Uh, you're unique in so many ways. That's why I love you so much, but you are unique in that you've done 30 days like that, that you've had the courage in your life to take that look inward. You know, I've asked this question to, to many people, uh, hundreds and hundreds of people at this point, which is, in your in your in the last ten years, you know, in your you know whatever this phase of your life, what's the longest you've gone in solitude? Then I define that. I say um, sleeping doesn't count. Every time you, <laughs> you know, so that doesn't count. So remove that. Every every time you check your phone, the clock resets. Every time someone talks to you, the clock resets. Every time you've got music or podcasts or television or whatever, the clock resets. Um, basically, anytime you have external inputs or when you're really focused on a task, like you're doing, you're doing right, um, the clock resets. And I've asked people, what's the longest you've gone? And the, the average answer to that question is somewhere between 30 minutes and an hour, like ever, wow. literally ever. It's just like, I, I, I don't do that. And unless somebody has a pretty deep spiritual practice, oh, I, I meditate for a couple hours or I've done this. I mean, it's, it's rare. Um, it's yeah. extremely rare. And this 12-hour walk is really meant to meet people anywhere uh, of any age. I mean, I've had uh, my 77 year old mother-in-law has done this 12 hour walk by engaging the silence and solitude. She walked one block, one, one time around her block. And then she sat for an hour on her front porch in silence and solitude, then walked another time around her block. So you don't have to be some crazy endurance athlete. This can meet you wherever you're at, but the exercise is more than the physicality. It's an exercise of the mind. It's actually to say, I need a reset. I need to look inward. And interesting what you experienced over those 30 days. Um, and I've seen people experience this in, in the 12 hours as well, which is those first few hours, your mind is the monkey mind. Your mind is like, oh my God, this, how am I going to get through this 12 hours? This is so long, you know, thinking about to-do lists or past grievances or fights yeah. with the spouse or whatever that, you know, the things that come up on the surface. But what's interesting is we're patterned to think that, that if it's this bad in this moment, it can only get worse. But what actually yeah. happens is, a slow quieting of this voice and an inner strength starts to build up. And that yeah. might come in ebbs and flows. Um, but what I've mostly found is people get back home and they feel incredibly empowered, incredibly strong. One of the core concepts that I talk about in the book, each chapter breaks down a common limiting belief we all face. So I don't, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I'm not strong enough. Mm -hmm. What if I fail? Mm -hmm. What if people criticize me? And each, each chapter through rich storytelling and some prescriptive advice from my life, breaks each one of those down, how we can overcome it. But the overall concept is what I call, when you take the 12 hour walk, you cultivate what I call a possible mindset, uh, an empowered way of thinking that unlocks a life of limitless possibilities. Because I think we all yeah. have that inside of us. But to your point, we get bogged down. We get bogged down. It just like you did, you needed a reset, right? And this mm. is an offering to anybody, anywhere. You might have not have 30 days. You might not have 10 days for a Vipassana. But if this is a priority to you, the shift that you can have in one day by being alone yeah. in your thoughts, examining what's in there is deeply, deeply empowering. And uh, I'll offer one more thing, which is interesting that I found through, you know, uh, I'm no doctor, that's for sure. But through prescribing the 12 hour walk, so to speak, um, yeah. is people in this. Mo so you're listening to this podcast, let's say, and you're hearing about this 12 hour walk for the very first time. Usually where people's mind goes in some capacity starts to think, should I do this or shouldn't I do this? A, a decision tree is, is, is kind of coming. Is this interesting to me? Should I shouldn't do this? The 12-hour walk exercise, the walk itself is obviously the most powerful part of the exercise. But the exercise actually starts right now. And why do I say that? Because 
Because right now, as you're considering it, most likely, anybody, this doesn't mean if you're the strongest person in the world, whatever, there's some limiting belief or series of limiting beliefs that are popping up right now. You're going, I'm listening to this podcast. This guy's talking about walking around in silence. I don't have enough time for that. I don't have it. I don't have enough. You know, I'm not strong enough to do that. What if I fail? I mean, this is silly. What people criticize me, whatever that is. What's Mm -hmm. interesting is the 12 hour walk, even considering doing it, is me holding up a mirror to you. I'm holding up a mirror to your own inner dialogue. And most likely, if you are assigning some strong limiting beliefs to resisting to do the 12-hour walk, it's most likely that those same limiting beliefs are popping up in your mind over and over and over again as all sorts of things cross your path and maybe inhibit you from living your best life. So it's interesting when you do, you acknowledge those limiting beliefs, but you say, I'm still going to do the 12-hour walk. Yeah. And when you do that, you get to the end and you go, I resisted doing this, but this was positive for me. And so therefore you look back on the next time those limiting beliefs pop up in your head because they happen to me. I'm not impervious to this either. I wrote a book about no. this, but I'm not impervious to that negative self-talk from time to time and go, oh, I've seen this thought pattern happen in my mind before, but I've shifted it and I took action. Therefore, how many other things can I do like this? And so the 12-hour walk ends up being this stand-in or this teacher um, through your own life to examine your own inner thoughts, overcome them, and then repeat that pattern as a ripple effect over time. It's true. I mean, it's one of the most powerful exercises I've ever done, which is to really take an honest, transparent look at my own thoughts and to, to actually write down that inner, I call it the inner <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what is he saying to me? And, and then call in a higher self, my, my, my higher self. We all have that, you know, that little voice that knows. How do you get in touch with that and have that be the voice that you live through rather than that, that negative self-talk or those automatic negative thoughts? Uh, and, and, you know, we, we don't have to believe every stupid thought that we have. And we tend to kind of be enmeshed with those and don't have the spaciousness around them to actually see them and then see how they're limiting our lives keeping us from happiness, from love, connection, from figuring out what we want to actually do with our lives, what, what's meaningful. And, and taking that little bit of a space can be so profound. In fact, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I ever shared the story with you, but it's actually how I became a doctor. Mm. <laughs> I, I, did, I didn't do a 12-hour walk. I, I did a week. And I, I went into the Shenandoah Valley. I finished college. I majored in Buddhism. I'm like, okay, what am I going to do with that? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> and... I, I mean, it was back in the era where there was no phones, there was no Walkman, there was no podcast, there was nothing. My backpack, me, I had a harmonica, I think I took with me. And I just walked. I walked every day and I walked a lot. And, and then I would camp at night and I would just be with myself. And through that process, I really got in touch with what really mattered to me, which was being of service, which, is of, which was dedicating my life to helping others and to not being focused on just what I wanted, what I needed, but on on the Buddhist goal value of compassion as mm-hmm. a vehicle for my own development, my own happiness, my own self expression, and 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 that that space that that week was was what led to everything in my life, which is happening right now, including having this conversation with you. So you know it, you know we don't do that very often in our lives. We don't take those pauses, and in those pauses, magic can happen and. And I, I kind of, I think I, this 30 days was the first time I'd really done that because, you know, career, kids, marriage, you know, divorce, all the things I've been through, illnesses. And I, 
And I really, it was a bookend to my life where everything that has come after that has been really different. Has The quality mm. of it has been really different. My way of thinking about myself has been different. My, my feeling of needing anything has been different. It was almost like I found the need button and it just turned it off. So I don't really have a need for anything other than just to show up and love people and serve people. And, you know, I, I we met on the, on this boat and, you know, was, I was in that space there and all this incredible totally. magic stuff happened just by my getting out of my own way. And I think I that's kind of what you're talking about. I am a hundred percent. And, and you've certainly, in my experience, show up that so fully with, with so much love and compassion and, and a full heart, um, which is, which is amazing. Um, and also it's, it really, I don't know, how would I say this? We think that examining the limiting belief of, I don't, we don't have enough time. Let's just say that for a second. We think that, as you said, years and decades can go by experiencing life in one way. Oh, I need to show up for this. I need to show up for that, this to-do list, that to-do list, whatever. And we think these inflection points, right? You're, you're week long after graduating college or the 30 days or the 12 hour walk is sort of getting in the way like, oh, well, I don't have enough time for that because my to-do list is a mile <laughs> long or whatever. And, and maybe in yeah. some of those excuses feel in, in the right position, like, hey, I want to show up for my kids and be there for everything they have, or I want to be, you know, connected to this or that, the other thing. Um, so I don't have enough time for that. It's a very common thing that I hear when I talk about this 12 hour walk. And what's interesting, these inflection points, 30 days, even 30 days seems like long. I mean, people say 12 hours seems long, but 30 days seems, you know, really long in comparison or 54 days crossing Antarctica. The truth of the matter is, in just 12 hours, or in your case, in just a week or just 30 days, right? But we're talking about 12 hours. In just 12 mm -hmm. hours, you can shift your by taking a look inwards, you can shift your mindset. So not just the next day or week, you're talking about weeks and years. All of a sudden, you found something out about yourself by looking inward. You show up as a better husband. You show up as a better spouse. You show up as a better parent. You show up better to work because you have taken that examination, meaning it's a, actually an incredibly small investment of time if it dictates your purpose and your happiness for years and years into the future. And it sounds like you've had that experience with these inflection totally. points in your life, as have I. So it's, time is this funny relative thing. On, on one hand, 12-hour walk seems like, oh my God, it's the longest walk I ever possibly think. I'll be alone with myself. <laughs> be so bored. How many days? Thank How God many you'll be bored so you'll get to meet yourself. <laughs> totally. And, and the question is, is reflect back on the last year of your life. How many days do you even remember from the past year? Literally, how many days do you actually remember? I, I, that's an interesting thought experiment. And most people start going, well, uh, there's so many in there. There's hundreds of days that you don't remember. Certainly dozens you know, uh, that you don't remember. Meaning this thing that you do, this shift outside of your comfort zone, this 12-hour walk, you'll remember it. And it will also have a ripple effect going forward. So I always look for opportunities in my life where I can invest. That's why the subtitle is invest one day, where I can invest mm -hmm. in something, an experience, a community, uh, a relationship, et cetera, that pays dividends over time. And when you look at it that way, you're like, oh, in just 12 hours, that's the reframe on that. Oh, that's all of a sudden, that's a that's not very long. It's in, I can have those benefits in just that. And so I think these inflection points, as you said, to meet yourself, what what more powerful exercise could we uh, could we all do? I mean, it's not just the twelve-hour walk. It's really it's a it's a it's a metaphor, and it's also um, important that that we we take the walk as a solitary journey. Yes, um, you know, I I, I think uh, you know, I I um I've been to Tibet, and honestly, it kind of freaks me out. These guys go for three years, three months, three days, three hours, three minutes, three seconds in these dark retreats. 
mm. literally pitch yes, I've black. Heard of this. I mean, it's I've heard of it's this. not the white of Antarctica, but it's like black. Yeah. And they sit with themselves and their minds. And and you put an average person in a dark room for 24 to 48 hours and they literally can go crazy. Yes. And and these monks do this as a practice. And it, it's so inspiring to me, but it's also terrifying. <laughs> You know, and I remember that when I first had the thought, I'm going to go take a month and sit with myself. I was terrified. <laughs> yes, of course. You know? But the, what's interesting is people ask me, you know, people say to me, wow, you've, you know, you've climbed Everest twice. And I, you know, I've lost friends. I run one of the chapters in the book. I talk about, you know, a tragedy where I lost five friends in Pakistan last year. Um, so clearly the things I've taken on risk and people ask me, Colin, you must be so afraid of dying. You must be so afraid mm -hmm. of dying. And mm. I've thought about that because I've been asked it a lot. Um, you, you don't fear death. And my response is I've actually, you know, it's a thoughtful response. I've really considered it. It's not cavalier at all. And I say, sure, I'm afraid of dying. The last thing I want to do is die. But what I'm more yeah. afraid of is not living, of not living. And I've come to think about life in some regard, um, what I think of as life on a scale of one to 10. Uh, so bear with me. It's kind of a silly thought, but of a scale of one to 10. So one being our worst moments, you know, the lowest lows that we experience in life and 10 being the highest highs. Um, you know, I was burned, severely burned in a fire and I spent, you know, months in a Thai hospital being told I would never walk again normally when I was 22 years old. You know, that was certainly a one. Um, I've had all sorts of countless setbacks in my life that are ones, right? Tens, the moment I crossed Antarctica, touched that post, that resonance with infinite love that we talked about, those are a tens, right? And just mm. epic moments. But what I've come to realize is that those tens, I didn't experience them in spite of the ones. Yeah. I experienced them because of yeah. the ones. Because yeah. of the ones, right? The the experience of concluding our Antarctica, my Antarctica expedition or any of the other expeditions or any other moments from my personal life with my wife or family, et cetera, they have come through being willing to accept the feeling of the ones. And what I'll go yeah. a step further, which is this book, when I really wrote it, I wrote it for people that are feeling in some way, it's not like you're having a terrible life, but stuck a little bit. And what I call yeah. the four to six range, right? The middle of that spectrum yeah. <laughs> stuck, stuck between what I call the zone of comfortable complacency. This is the person who's like, yeah, I have a job. It pays the bills. It's fine. You know, whatever, but it's, it's fine. Or, you know, my marriage, you know, we're not really in love, but we cohabitate and it's fine. We're not like fight with each other. It's not like we're like abusive to one another, but it, you know, it, it's fine. <laughs> right. So yeah. many people, so many people are living the totality of their life stuck mm. in that zone of comfortable complacency. And it's funny, mm. we think to ourselves, oh, well, uh, you know, well, fine. I don't want to experience the ones, but I want to experience the tens. But it's counterintuitive. Like it, uh, the yeah. silly metaphor would be to say, okay, you're looking at your house. You've been living in your house for 20 years. You're like, I got to remodel this kitchen, right? And we'd love to snap our fingers and just have that as a fancy new modern kitchen. But before you do that, you got to rip down the walls. You got to tear some stuff yeah. out. They got to turn the water off. It's got to be, it's kind of, it's got to suck for a little while. You have yeah. to experience a little bit of that growth. You have to look inward and be willing to have the courage because you can stay in that zone of comfortable complacency, never look inward, distract yourself with your phone, dopamine hit, dopamine hit, dopamine hit, yeah. next Netflix yeah. binge, et cetera. You know, eat to your point of the, the health stuff that you're so, so passionate. You've changed so many lives of people just eating unhealthy food, dopamine hit off this fat or this, you know, this sugar, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's just, it's no different coping in all different ways. Right. Um, but the 12 hour walk, it is meant to take you outside of your comfort zone. You yeah. might you might have a one out there. Your feet might get tired. You might even, you know, a two or a three, whatever. 
But when you get back mm-hmm. to your door, you're going to have a seven, an eight, a nine, a 10, because you allowed the yeah. pendulum to swing the totality. And so for me, again, uh, forgive me if it's a little too preachy, but this is a wake up call for those people who are stuck in the four and the six, yeah. the life that's like, eh, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's fine. You know, I'm good. I'm fine. Yes, you're good. It could but be worse. <laughs> it could be worse. But interestingly enough, accepting a little bit of that, to me, that's when I say, I'm more afraid of not living. Yeah. To me, that ends up being in this numbness in the middle. Um, and again, I think there's a lot of power when you know it's been said a million times, stepping outside of that comfort zone, accepting a little bit of that discomfort to ultimately pay dividends to the upside of those tens and the rewards of the full tapestry of life's experiences. Yeah. Well, I want, I want to ask you a really, I think, an important question, which is what inspired you? Before I let you answer that, I want, to, I want to share a little bit of what's inspired me. And when I was a kid, I was a little weird kid. I sat in my room and read a lot of books. And one of the books I read that impacted me more than any other book was on Walden Pond or Walden by Thoreau. Yeah. And he was an 1800s, 19th century transcendentalist philosopher. And, and what you've been talking about reminded me of one of the most inspiring quotes that's really been the foundation of my life. He said, I went to the woods and he basically went to this cabin on this pond and lived there for about two years by himself, just taking note of life around him. And he said, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. Essentially, Colin, that's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And and I want to know for you, what was it that got you started? What was the thing that inspired you to not just live at four or five or six, but want to have the ones and the tens? You know, I, I literally am sitting here with goosebumps. I know you and I are such kindred spirits. So I, I would be remiss to not quote back to you, which is chapter one of the 12-hour walk. I got it here right here, so I'm not making this up. Chapter one, pull quote above first line of the entire book is a quote from Henry Thoreau's Walden, which says, (laughs) (laughs) the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. Uh Um, And most people, interesting enough, misquote the second half of that, which is most men lead lives of quiet desperation and die with their songs still inside of them. Uh, Thoreau actually didn't write that second half. Um, But that literally is how I open the entirety of the book. So Thoreau, Walden, of course, um, (laughs) transcendentalism. uh, So I love that we have been deeply inspired by some of the same influences. We didn't didn't, uh, plan this in advance. No, we did not. We did not. But, um, you know, what inspired me? It's an interesting thing. Um, you know, I've had some really incredible influences um, in my life, uh, particularly my, my parents, my mother. Um, you know, I didn't grow up with a lot of financial resources, but I definitely grew up with an abundance of love. Um, my parents were super young when they had me. I was, uh, I think I mentioned, born on a hippie commune in Olympia, Washington. They're playing Bob Marley Redemption Song on repeat at my home birth, uh, <laughs> smoking pot around a futon. Um, so there, there was a lot of that going on. They were in their I've early been there. Tw- I've been there. <laughs> they, were, they, they were in their early 20s. 20s um, when they had me. Um, And I didn't, like I said, didn't grow up necessarily with a lot of financial resources, but I did grow up with what I now, like I said, call a possible mindset. I grew up with a mother who said to me, you can achieve, achieve, but more more than more than achievement externally, achieve fulfillment through anything you set your mind to. And just that belief in self. Um, there's a, certainly a huge turning point for me in my life where that, it, that has to do with the ones and the tens for me. Uh, you know, I re- briefly mentioned it before, but 
I always tra- dreamed to travel in the world. Always. You know, I didn't get to travel a lot when I was a kid, yeah. but I said, you know, I want to see the world. You know, I guess you had this adventurous spirit inside of me. I used to like study maps and like one day want to go to far <laughs> places, you know? And so what I did yeah. is at 16 years old, I started painting houses. I started painting houses every single summer. Um, through my swimming, I got an opportunity to uh, to go to Yale uh, on a scholarship, but I was painting houses to pay for books and to, to get by and whatever. But every year I socked away a few thousand bucks to say, when I graduate from college, I'm going to travel, you know, and it's probably gonna be on a shoestring because I, you know, a few thousand bucks doesn't get me very far in the world. But as a young 22 year old young man, just out of college, um, I kind of pushed away the traditional career path uh, at that moment in my life. And I took a backpack and a surfboard and took a one, one way trip. And I, it, it was as budget as budget can be. I mean, I hitchhiked through New Zealand for two months. I slept on floors. I ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I, you know, <laughs> slept in youth hostels and shared houses and just kind of scraped yeah. by, but it was a great adventure. Um, all until I found myself on this small beach in rural Thailand, kind of in flow, having so much fun. And, you know, 22 years old, no, no fully formed prefrontal cortex, as you well know. Yeah. <laughs> and I saw... I, I That's saw the adult pe- in the room. It's exactly. I see some guys jump into flaming jump rope. Some Thai guys, they do it every single night. And I said, hey, can I do that? And I jumped this flaming jump rope and... Um, in an instant, my life changed. You know, that rope, it wrapped around my legs and let my body on fire to my neck. Um, thankfully, survival mode kind of kicked in and I jumped into the ocean to extinguish the flames, but not before about 25% of my body was uh, burned, particularly my legs mm. and my feet. You know, mm. no, no proper medical facilities over there. I was I was not just in Thailand, but I was on an island outside in the Gulf of Thailand. So literally no no hospital, but uh, no no um, ambulance, a moped ride down a dirt path, a one room nursing station. Um, you know, I ended, ended up going underwent eight, you know, surgeries in this makeshift wow. ICU. I would come out of surgery from them scrubbing and debrading my legs um, to a cat running around my bed and across my chest. I mean, pretty mm. much. The Very worst sanitary. situation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And as you know, being a doctor that, you know, burns the, the physicality, the is one thing, but the infection is really what kills people. Yeah, you die right? of infection, you know, right. You sure. die of infection from burns. Um, and so I'm in this really bad spot. But again, the, 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 there, I've had some, I should say, I have five older sisters, an incredible wife, um, and an incredible mother. So I have had some extraordinarily positive female influences in my life. Um, and th- this story really is about my mother, the heroine of this story, which is she came and found me um, about four or five days in this ordeal, finds me in this tiny little shack of a hospital. And I can only imagine being a parent, what it's like to see your kid in this state. You know, I was screaming and writhing in pain, blood seeping in unsanitary hospital, just a horrible set of circumstances. And the doctor had just told me, and again, he was, there was nothing against him. He was telling me what he thought was the truth. He goes, based on the way, how badly your ligaments, your ankle joints, et cetera, have been burned, you will probably never walk again normally. Um, wow. And as a young person who I consider myself, you know, an athlete, I've been a collegiate swimmer, you know, really in my body kind of kid. Um, my identity completely ripped away from me in an instant based on some stupid thing that I did. You know, I, I was 100% responsible for this mistake. Right. Um, yeah. and I knew that. And so I went to the most negative, dark, horrible place in my mind, you know, again, that like, like sitting in that tent, all the negative versions of me, you're such an idiot. You're such a fool. You've ruined your life. You know, just, I mean, my mom sees my body negative spiraling, but my emotions are downward spiraling. Wow. She somehow, and I still don't know, I, I got all the credit in the world to her. She's admitted to me now that she was crying in the hallways of this makeshift hospital, pleading mm. with the doctors for good news. But she actually never showed me that fear. 
every herself. She walked in every single day with this just air of positivity. This just just wrapping me in positivity and rapture and love. And she kept saying to me, what do you want to do when you get out of here? And I was like, mm. what are you talking about? She's like, your life's not over. What do you want to do when you get out of here? Wow. And she actually, again, I, I, I call it this now. I call it this in the book. I've called it this for a long time. I didn't know these words then, but she was giving me this possible mindset. She was saying, yeah. hey, this sucks. Life's hard sometimes, but there are still limitless possibilities in your future. So let's talk about them. And she kind of yeah. forces me. I don't want to play along with her silly game at this point. I'm so in so much pain. But she says, close your eyes and picture anything without limits. What do you want to be doing when you get out of here? And I closed my eyes and she said, just tell me the first thing that pops in your head. And what popped into my head, I, I kind of smiled and then I laughed. I was like, oh, you're going to think this is stupid. But I saw myself crossing the finish line of a triathlon. Mm. And she could have easily said, yeah, I said, set a goal. Let's talk about the future, but maybe something a little more realistic. I mean, look at your yeah, legs. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, let's not do this triathlon. This is ridiculous. But she didn't do mm-hmm. that. She actually said to the doctor, hey, um, actually, Colin, why don't you start training right now? Hey, doc. Bring my son in some weights. <laughs> and she had the Thai doctor bring in these 10-pound weights. I have this wow. picture of me lifting these weights in the bed. My, my legs wow. are bandaged from the waist down. And she goes, she starts telling everyone in the hospital, my son's training for a triathlon. I got this picture of this Thai doctor. He's shaking oh his head like, God. this stupid American kid's never going to walk again. His mom's you know, like crazy. She's out to lunch. Um, and it was a long road to recovery. I mean, it, 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 I will answer the, with the essence of your question, which is the inspiration of what turning point for me. But- Interestingly enough, I was in that Thai hospital for a couple months, flew back to Portland, Oregon, where I'm from, carried on and off the plane, placed in a wheelchair when I got home, still couldn't walk. My mm. mom put a wooden chair in front of me and she said, forget about the triathlon. You got to take one step, figure out how to get me one step out of my wheelchair. The next day, two steps, three steps. 18 months later, I found myself at the start line of the Chicago triathlon. Wow. And I, I, I learned how to walk. I learned how to jog. I kind of tried to get on with my life. I took a job in Chicago in finance. And um, I jumped into the water. I swam a mile, got on my bike, rode 25 miles down Lakeshore Drive, and then put my shoes on those recently burned and battered legs and ran 6.2 miles crossing the finish line of the Chicago Triathlon. I had completed this goal. And there was a crazy sort of ending of it, which was I hadn't just actually finished the race, but I actually won. I placed first at the entire Chicago Triathlon. Holy cow. <laughs> 5,000 <laughs> other people. Um, but... I reflect on that moment and I tell that story not to say, oh, what I realized through all this is you can really make dumb mistakes in your life and I'm just a badass superhuman athlete. Look at me. You know, like that's the opposite. The moment no, no. that, no, but the, the interesting thing about it is I experience, it's the ones in the tens, right? I did the stupidest thing a young person could do. I almost disrupted my entire life. I caused my mom to have to fly to Thailand and cry and plead and go through the trauma of taking care of me. I had to put myself through that, my family through that. I mean, the lowest of the lows, the most scared and afraid I'd ever been at that point in my life, et cetera. But through it, through the ones, my mom taught me one of life's most important lessons, which is life is hard. I don't care who you are, rich, poor, old, young, you are going to confront hardship in your life. But how we choose to react in those moments, that mindset, the limiting beliefs that can either, I go, had my mom not showed me showed up there, I might very well still be in a wheelchair, at the very least hobbling around, never having gained full mobility back in my legs. But my mom said, no, what can you do? 
And so that, yeah. you know, the, insp- you know, I know I didn't have walking across Antarctica in, in my, you know, it's another 10 years until that <laughs> happened and climbing these mountains and all these things. Yeah. But she unlocked in me this belief that I believe we all have. I believe as humans, every single one of us, we have these uh, reservoirs of untapped potential to achieve extraordinary things. Um, and really, I, I even hate using the word achieve. So I'll, I'll rewrite that and say to feel, to feel and experience fulfillment and deep happiness, bliss, peace, connection. We have the ability and a lot of it starts in our minds and understanding that the ones, yeah. the challenges, the adversities of life are part of it but we have the ability to react. And so certainly my mother throughout my entire life, but in this yeah. one really intense moment in my young life played a significant role. And just like you said, those, uh, that week backpacking out of college has dictated, you know, where you are right now. The fact we're having this conversation, I would say the same thing. The fact that I have 10 world records and New York times best selling books and successful entrepreneurial visions. And I'm sitting here looking you eye and eye as a friend and as a peer and, and as someone <laughs> I love, that is all a function of my mother looking me in the eye that day yeah. and saying, what do you want to do when you get out of here? And me saying, I'm never going to walk again. She goes, you are, and you're going to thrive. And let's figure out how to get you there. And here I am, you know, 15 plus years later, living the life that, that I'm so blessed to feel like I can live. That's so unbelievable, Colin. I, I, I think it's such an inspiring story. And, you know, I think many people think, oh, that person's successful. They've had it so easy. Everything's been given to them and they haven't really had any obstacles. But the truth is, it's not true for most people. In fact, it's probably the opposite. Uh, it's certainly true for me. It's been true for you. And I think the, the the hardest moments have taught me the greatest lessons and have inspired me to do things that I never would have done otherwise and to believe things that I never could have believed. And I, I think often we're prisoners, prisoners of our own mind. And, and uh, the subtitle of your book, The 12-Hour Walk, one of the parts of the subtitle is Conquer Your Mind. Because if you don't know how to do that, if you don't become a master of your mind, you're going to have trouble in life. You're going to struggle and you won't be able to reach the fulfillment of what it is to be human. And and I see how you've done that. And it's just, it's so inspiring. And I, I meet a lot of people, <laughs> you know, I meet presidents and Kings and CEOs and billionaires. And, you know, I, I think, you know, I, some of the most unhappy people are some of the wealthiest people and some of the most quote successful people, but you kind of redefine success as being an inside job. It's not mm. what you do on the outside. It's what you do on the inside. And, and that is just such a, a powerful concept because you don't need anything to conquer your mind on the outside. You don't need to be rich. You don't need to have a fancy house, a fancy car, a great job. It's really about what happens inside. And, and I think once we learn that, that that's our biggest mountain to climb and we start to learn the tools to do it, uh, we start with the first step, right? to that wooden chair. We start with the 12 hour walk, which is why when you told me about your book, I'm like, man, this is the best freaking idea I've heard of. Let's inspire 10 million, a hundred million, a billion people to do this walk. Imagine how different their world would be. Totally. And I, and I, I literally, like I said, I, I framed this question of what's your Everest. And I love to ask it to people, young people, old people, people at different ages. And I had tons of different responses, but I finished the book by saying, my, my Everest, my Everest is to inspire 10 million people to take this walk. And maybe I, hopefully I'm shooting low and it's a hundred million, like you yeah, said, but billion. why, you know, why, yeah. like, why is that question? And it's because of what you said, it's not to stroke my ego. It's because I be- fundamentally believe the more people that are equipped with this possible mindset, the better this planet is, the more people that have taken that look inward. And to your point, it's not, it, you know, 
billionaires, kings, rich people, rich guy, this, that, and the other thing. Like this is this is the most accessible thing ever. This is a free gift. This is an art piece to the world to say, take the 12 hour walk. It doesn't cost anything. It literally doesn't cost anything. I, you know, I love for you to buy the book, but if you don't want to t- buy the book and still go on the walk, I a hundred percent support you. Absolutely. Um, we are, we are actually, you know, the, we're galvanizing. You can take this walk any single day, you know, pair of shoes and the time. I actually encourage people to take it right out their front door. You know, I say that's going to imprint on your daily life even stronger. Mm-hmm. Than, oh, I got to wait to vacation to be on this trail. The solitude is still maintained if there's ambient city noise. If you live in New York City, you can do the 12 hour walk in Manhattan. Just you're not talking to people on the street, but you are still alone yeah. in your thoughts in that. This can be done anywhere, right? And we are, um, I have a, a big, you know, like I said, it can be done any single day, but on September 10th, I'm also galvanizing a mass participation in the 12 hour walk. So if you're struggling to say, well, what day should I put that on my calendar? Whatever. If you want to put it on your calendar any day, do it, sign up on the 12 hour walk calls, cost you nothing. It's just, uh, I'll, I'll be able to, you know, track you and, and send you some words of wisdom and advice along the way. So you can sign up on the website, 12 hourwalk.com. Um, and mm. I even have an app that's built that will allow you to have your Google maps open and track yourself so you don't get lost, but your phone's in airplane mode. So I, I give you the one you, I give you your one excuse that you might have. I got to look at my phone. Fine. I'll give you the one thing. You can look at your map so you don't get lost. Fine. But, mm. um, but on September 10th, I, as well as uh, many, many, many others will be participating alone. We'll be walking alone. Everyone will be walking from the front doors, but there's something in the accountability and the power and the uplift mm. of uh, the camaraderie of knowing others are out there doing it. So like I said, it can be done on every, any day, but um, I invite people to join on September 10th. I don't know what you're doing on September 10th, uh, Mark, but uh, we'd, lo- we'd love to have you uh, join the 12 hour walk you know either what? that day or another day. I actually, I actually live just finished my public television show filming on my new book on longevity called Young Forever, which is also challenging some of our, limit, our limiting beliefs about aging. And and absolutely, I'm going to do that walk. Yes. <laughs> absolutely. Yes. And yes. I'm going to inspire all the millions of people who follow me to do that walk too. That's 3 million people right there. Just right there. So we're, like I said, maybe I, maybe I shot too, I dream too low. I think low, you shot so. too low. I think we can need to go like a billion, you know? A billion. Uh, I love my, it. My partner Brianna has this great, uh, great idea. When you go to her website, so I want to be a billionaire. I want to, I want to positively impact the lives of a billion people. I love that. <laughs> I love that. It's, yes. it's so beautiful. Heck so yeah. totally. I, I think Colin. Um, I literally could talk to you about this for hours, and I know we will soon on our twelve-hour walk. But we might do one when we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I just love you so much. I, I I am so inspired by this conversation. I hope those of you listening have been inspired. I hope you go out right now. The book's available wherever you get your book. Uh, it's called the Twelve Hour Walk. Invest one day, conquer your mind, and unlock your best life. Uh, you have nothing to lose, but your unhappiness. And you have nothing to gain. Sorry, you have everything to gain, especially love. And, and thank you, Colin, for being you, for inspiring all of us, for writing the book, and for living your life. It's just fabulous. <laughs> I'm just kind of speechless. Uh, and if you're listening to this podcast and you loved it uh, and inspired you, share it with everybody. Share it with your friends and family. Share it wherever you share your stuff. Uh, leave a comment. How have you helped conquer your own mind? What has been your 12-hour walk in your life? And, and Or maybe why do you need one? And, and write about that. Let's hear from you. And subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next week on The Doctor's Pharmacy. Hey, everybody. It's Dr. Hyman. Thanks for tuning into The Doctor's Pharmacy. I hope you're loving this podcast. It's one of my favorite things to do. And introducing you to all the experts that I know and I love and that I've learned so much from. 
And I want to tell you about something else I'm doing, which is called Mark's Picks. It's my weekly newsletter. And in it, I share my favorite stuff from foods to supplements to gadgets to tools to enhance your health. It's all the cool stuff that I use and that my team uses to optimize and enhance our health. And I'd love you to sign up for the weekly newsletter. I'll only send it to you once a week on Fridays. Nothing else, I promise. And all you have to do is go to drhyman.com forward slash picks to sign up. That's drhyman.com forward slash picks, P-I-C-K-S, and sign up for the newsletter. And I'll share with you my favorite stuff that I use to enhance my health and get healthier and better and live younger, longer. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional medicine practitioner, you can visit ifm.org and search their Find a Practitioner database. It's important that you have someone in your corner who's trained, who's a licensed healthcare practitioner, and can help you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.